And this is View of the Valley's podcast with TJ Hoover and Chris Smith. TJ, how are you doing today? I'm doing well today. We're going to go back racing, you know, a little IndyCar racing, NASCAR racing, and then our first F1 race. Uh, trying to beat the heat, though. It's uh, pretty swampy outside. It is It is steamy out there. I mean, we, we can't get rid of the rain. And then, you know, baseball turns have been canceled. My golf outings have been, you know, lowered from 18 holes to a nine-hole rain check. Wow. Yeah, can't, can't beat the rain. I do want to start off. It was brought to my attention uh, when we did the Indiana State Mount Rushmore that I, I made an egregious mistake and uh, said the University of Indiana. My family from the state of Indiana has let me know about it. So it is Indiana University. So I apologize for that. And I was also wrong that Indiana State was not in D2 when Larry Bird joined there. They'd actually gone during the... Uh, 71 72 seasons considered their first year in d1 so i apologize to the indiana state fans and the people of the great state of indiana but during this week's episode we'll give you our thoughts on which conference would match up well with the missouri valley and the ohio valley for a conference showdown connor onion the tv voice of the salukis joins the show and at the end of the show we do our mount rushmore on missouri state and murray state but first things first tj We'll get into our conference showdowns. Uh, I'll let you go first with the Missouri Valley here, and let me know which uh, conference you went with. Well, I mean, I think we both really looked at first which had the same number of teams, and I think we were both surprised to find out how many conferences had nine teams or 11 teams, <laughs> or we're looking for 10 and 12-team conferences, yeah. and similar RPI. I think a dream scenario for the Missouri Valley would be to get the West Coast Conference. You have Gonzaga, you have St. Mary's, San Francisco, who's been rising, and by... I just don't know that Gonzaga and St. Mary's are going to give up games to play the Missouri Valley at this point. Granted, right now they'd be playing Loyola, Northern Iowa, which we think are good programs. But I think more realistic, uh, I settled on the Mountain West Conference, and they did just have a challenge. I think last year or the year before was the first year without that. But 10 teams, San Diego State has obviously been uh, gaining a lot of attention here the last few years. They didn't even win the conference tournament. Utah State beat them, but Utah State also graduated Sam Merrill, who was their all-everything guy, averaged about 17 or 18 points a game. He could have arguably been one of the best players in the conference. I think think the NCAA tournament getting canceled may have hurt a guy like Sam Merrill, like that he could have brought some more attention you know nationally for what that's worth. But I think that's probably the best matchup. Number 10 in RPI, MVC was 11 after last year. So I think that's probably your best matchup. It's, It's not as uh, glorious maybe is playing the West Coast Conference, but at the same time, I think it'd be competitive, gets you some of those quad one, quad two wins, hopefully. So I guess my dream scenario would be the Ohio Valley matching up with the AAC, the American Athletic Conference, you know, with the Cincinnati's, the Wichita States. But, you know, like you said, with with the, the conference out on the West Coast, they're not going to give up them games. And while... Right now, yeah, you could have like a Belmont or Murray State, even Austin P. Right now, give give a game like they, you know, give you know Cincinnati right. everything they need. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you work your way down that conference, then you start to you know try and figure out okay who would match up well with this team, and you know it, it may not work out right now. But the conference I went with would be the Ohio Valley and the Sun Belt in a showdown. And if you're not familiar with the Sun Belt, the Sun Belt, some of those teams in the conference are Appalachian State, 
Arkansas State, Coastal Carolina, Georgia Southern, Georgia State, Little Rock, Louisiana, South Alabama, Texas State, Troy, Louisiana Monroe, and Texas Arlington. So the one area that stood out, the OVC and Sunbelt both have 12 teams, so it matches up well there. Now what I did with the RPI, I took the average RPI from the Sunbelt and the Ohio Valley from 2010 to 2018, trying to get a better broad range of how well they would match up. And during those years, Sunbelt essentially had an RPI of 18, which was the average, and the Ohio Valley had an average of 21.5. So the two are pretty close together. They're not far off. Um, but as I looked at it right now, and I referenced the D1 docket for this, as of right now, there are no matchups scheduled or that have been released to this point between the Sun Belt and the Ohio Valley for this year. And, and now obviously that could change, but as of right now, neither conference plays each other during this uh, upcoming season. One other conference that did come to mind is the MAC. Um, I do think the Ohio Valley, especially right now, could match up pretty well with you know teams like you know Ball State, Buffalo, um, you know the Central, Western, Eastern Michigan teams. So, but I went with the Sun Belt for my uh, my main one. Yeah, I didn't go back and double check the last I knew of. I think the only crossover game right now between the MVC and the Mountain West is. Uh, SIU goes to San Francisco, and that's a return game. I think they did a home-and-home because San Francisco, if I remember correctly, was at SIU last year. And like I said earlier, their program has been kind of on the rise and probably benefiting from having the likes of Gonzaga and St. Mary's in their conference. Oh, sure. I think since it matches up, I think nothing to lose for the MVCs to go up against the Big 12. Oh, yeah. yeah. uh, You know, listening to some of Connor's podcasts, you know, Kent Williams talks about – playing Indiana, the big upset that they had over Indiana there at uh, in, in Carbondale. And, you know, he had the chance for that. But is KU going to go to northern Iowa? Uh, probably not. Well, and, and see, that's where you come into the, the problem because, you know, those Power Five conferences, they're not just going to give away like a home matchup. Now, you know, uh, Kansas would love for a northern Iowa to come play there. I mean, right. it, it's, a, it's a good mid-major school. But now if you turn the table – and you're like, well, do you want to come play in Northern Iowa? And it's like, ah, uh, no. Yeah, but I think it's getting to the point where maybe the conference would even agree that, yeah, we'll all go to your to your place just oh, to sure. get that game. Yeah. Because it feels like, at least that's the impression of the mid-majors kids, that those schools won't, won't schedule them home or away. You know, maybe you'll run into them at, at a neutral, like an MTE, but that's about it. Well, yeah, and, and the way you look at it now, it's very rare that a Power 5 team will go on the road and play at a mid-major. Oh, now, I know sure. Missouri was supposed to play at Missouri State, um, but Ole Miss played at SEMO uh, five years ago, I think. And other than that, I mean, there's really not much that sticks out, mm-hmm. you know, at least in this area between the two conferences. But with that, let's go ahead and bring in Connor Onion as the TV voice for the Salukis is on the phone. All right, we are joined by Connor Onion, the TV voice of Southern Illinois Salukis basketball on ESPN Plus, while also calling a host of other Saluki sports. Connor, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, guys. TJ, Chris, good to be on with you. Uh, thanks for thinking of me, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. 
So we'll jump right into it uh, so our listeners can get to know you. How'd you get interested and involved in sports broadcasting and where you've been along the way and uh, what landed you at Southern Illinois? Yeah, so it's funny. I went to Ball State University about 45 minutes from Indianapolis, and I went there with the intention of wanting to work in sports, but you know, I, I grew up in Chicago reading the Chicago Tribune every day, and I thought I wanted to be a beat writer. So I pursued that kind of my freshman year. Uh, you know, I didn't, I wasn't on the beat or anything for any of the sports, but did some feature writing, did some blogging, that sort of thing, and um, that was kind of the path that I was on for one year in college. And then my sophomore year, I moved in with a couple of the guys that worked at the college radio station and still had my sights set on writing for the daily newspaper and pursuing the beat writing path. And the, the guy that I lived with, he was the play-by-play voice of the women's team on the student radio station. And the men's radio position for basketball had opened up and he said hey I, I think you should go after it and I was like what are you talking about I'm you know I I don't have any skills that apply to play-by-play and he's like no you know I'll walk you through it and um I'll, I'll get you ready for the interview and the tryout process and that stuff and uh it turned out that I got it and did play-by-play for Ball State men's basketball that year on the student station as a sophomore and did it the next two years that I was at Ball State and Loved it. I, I just loved the the energy and um, the adrenaline that comes with being courtside and calling live sports. And I guess the the rest is kind of history from there. I, I decided to pursue play-by-play after college and went to uh, do a, a number two broadcasting position with the Quad Cities River Bandits, the Houston Astros single-A team in Davenport, Iowa. Did that my first summer out of school in 2017. And that summer... Um, I, I was in contact with Mike Reese, who's the longtime radio voice of SIU, and had listened to his work for a while. And I, I'd really just reached out, <clears throat> hoping that he would give me some advice on how to get better. And after he listened, he said, hey, we're going to post for a graduate assistant position, and I'd like for you to apply. So did that, interviewed, ended up getting it, <clears throat> and spent two years at Southern as a graduate assistant doing the women's games on the radio and doing some of the other sports on on the ESPN3 and ESPN Plus broadcasts. And uh, that kind of turned into my current role, uh, which I just started last year, which is being the TV voice of all the sports at SIU. So long-winded answer to your first question, but yeah, that's, that's kind of how I've <laughs> gotten to where I've gotten so far. So when you were at Ball State, um, when you were working with like the radio, the college radio there, was it kind of like student run? Because I know at Lindenwood University, where I went in the St. Louis area, as a student, we kind of had like free free reign of uh, you know producing our own radio shows, and then you know obviously doing play by play for some of the sports there. Yeah, that was the the good thing. It was that way. It was student run. There was a faculty advisor that would oversee things and you know be there to slap you on the wrist if you weren't doing the right thing um but that was yeah that was the good thing and the bad thing about it i think is you kind of got to figure it out by yourself and make your you know we, we did some talk shows on top of the games we were doing and 
you know, you had creative freedom to just kind of do what you want and make of it what you wanted to. And um, I think the, the drawback to that was, you know, there, there wasn't always guidance on the radio side if you were doing something wrong. So if you're making a mistake, you had to figure it out kind of on your own. But the good thing was there were a lot of people interested and there were a lot of talented people in the program. Like um, the guy that I moved in with my sophomore year, his name is Tyler Bradfield. You know, he had, he had done high school radio. He had done college radio the couple years before I got there. So, um, you know, there, there were a lot of people you could bounce ideas off of and um, be held accountable by, by the other students. Uh, now on the, the TV side of things, there, there was a heavy faculty presence. Uh, in the, the program over there called Ball State Sports Link, Chris Taylor, Alex Cartman, and, and Brad Daly were all um, very, very involved. So I think that helped once I started doing more TV stuff because you know they had been there for me for four years to kind of tell me how the industry works, uh, you know what to expect. You're going to have to work a lot of holidays, nights, and weekends, and uh, it wasn't you know a huge shock once I got to the real world and started working on that side of things a little bit more. So if you had to pick, which is your favorite sport to call play-by-play? Uh, I mean, this is kind of, I guess this is kind of the company line, but whatever season it is. <laughs> um, you know, um, it, it's, it's, really, it's really hard to, to pick. And I was kind of that way when I was an athlete as a kid. You know, I didn't play at a very high level just in high school and stuff, but, uh, you know, always was involved in multiple sports and never had to choose. And I think that's why I was average when I was an athlete is because I could never pick and just focus on one. And I, I found it kind of that way in broadcasting. Uh, like, you know, there's, there's a huge rush when you do a football game just because it's once a week and you're putting in 40, 50 hours to get ready for that game. And it's all that build up to that, Friday or Saturday, whatever it is, and, you know, basketball is fast-paced and exciting, and especially at SIU, that's, that is the sport, so, you know, that's, that's really exciting, and, you know, uh, a big part of the reason, I probably should have said this earlier, why I got into broadcasting is also because of the influence of um, Pat Hughes, the Chicago Cubs radio announcer, um, you know, he was kind of the first broadcaster that I ever listened to when I was real young before I ever even knew that I wanted to get into broadcasting and uh, baseball was kind of my first love as a sport so I, I love doing the baseball and softball games and the, the other one is, is volleyball I, I hadn't done a lot of volleyball before I got to Southern but it's it's really a beautiful game our, our coach over there at Allen says it's you know it's kind of like an orchestra where you've got to get six parts moving all at once together and when it works well, it's it's really, really cool to watch. So the more I've learned about the nuances of that sport, the more I've really taken to it and have really enjoyed calling it. So I'm sorry I can't give you a more direct answer, um, <laughs> but I, I like them all, whatever season it is. So I think play-by-play announcing is one of those things that everyone thinks they can do. Every, like everyone thinks they can run a restaurant. They think they can run a hotel. But – can you describe what goes into preparing for a play-by-play uh, event uh, so that you're prepared to do a thorough broadcast, whether it be basketball or football or whatever? Yeah, the, the first thing 
then the most important thing to me is knowing your personnel. So, I mean, that's, you know, that goes back to the days of doing, you know, for, for a lot of people, it's, it's high school or, uh, you know, maybe club games. Um, and, you know, having your roster and knowing your names and numbers. You know, the, the way I organize a lot of that stuff is I have a, a big Excel sheet that, you know, in, in broadcasting we call it a spotting board and put the names and numbers, hometown sites, weights, all that stuff in first. And, you know, that allows me to go through the rosters and just kind of familiarize myself. But first of all, who's playing? Uh, sounds obvious, but, you know, that's, that's the most important thing. Can you identify somebody when they touch the ball or, or make some movement right away. So once once I have that stuff down and then I go through some of the other research with the stats, the storylines, the personal backgrounds, do some interviews to familiarize myself with the players. Um, one thing I spend a lot of time on throughout the week is I mean, watching the games so that I know um, you know, Youngstown State, who's the wide receiver in the slot? Once he comes on jet motion, can I identify him as soon as he touches the ball rather than looking down at my board and he's 10 yards downfield before I can actually identify that it's Jeremiah Braswell that just touched the ball. Um, so knowing the personnel is a huge part. Um, and once you have some of those baseline things on the staff, the storylines, all those things, then it kind of just frees yourself up to be a little bit more creative and tell some stories that maybe you don't have down on your chart, but come up organically throughout the game. So, yeah, there's, there's a decent amount of prep, and it's different for each sport. Football is definitely the most intensive. Uh, basketball is, is pretty structured just because it's five guys on the floor at a time, and uh, baseball and softball is different every single day just because that's kind of the nature of it. It's a, a day-by-day sport. Mm-hmm. So how is that different from preparing for a guest for something like a halftime interview? Well, um, I, I think, you know, I, I, I try not to be too scripted when I do an interview, but it is more scripted than when I do play-by-play. I'll usually go in with bullet points. Um, I'm sure it's similar to, to what you guys do. You know, you have, you have talking points and information on who your guest is and, um, you know, you have certain things you want to get to, but I think similar to play-by-play, I want it to be as spontaneous as possible. So I can go into a game that I'm doing play-by-play for, and I can have the best story ever on Marcus Damask for SIU. But if that doesn't fit into the, the course of the game, maybe he doesn't go to the free throw line at all, or maybe... Uh, you know, this didn't happen a lot last year, but maybe it's a, a game that's getting up and down in the 80s uh, and there's not really a chance to tell those stories. I'm not going to tell it, even though I feel like I'm I'm sitting on something that's important and fans would enjoy. Uh, it has to be spontaneous. And I have that same approach with interviews. Like I said, there, there are certain things I want to hit on and likely will in an interview setting, but a lot of it's also based on what my guest is saying. So um, Walt Frazier was back for homecoming a couple years ago, and I was very thorough in my research because Walt Frazier's done a lot of interviews, so I wanted to try to provide something new. Um, and I'm, I'm sure similar stories have been told before, but you know, I had this idea of talking all about his basketball career, but 
he kind of went on this tangent about how he wanted to be a football player, but nobody would offer him a football scholarship, so he happened to be a basketball player. So conversation, in my mind, is going to be about his basketball career, but then all of a sudden it was, well, what kind of football player were you? Um, you know, how did your football skills translate to you becoming a Hall of Fame basketball player? And um, that's where the, the spontaneous nature of play-by-play kind of meshed into to the interviewing, too. Yeah, I've actually seen that interview that you did with uh, Walt Frazier. I don't know how you kept your composure when he said he, that he was basically a walk-on. I mean, we're talking the, probably the greatest basketball player in SIU history says, yeah, nobody really recruited me. And you kept your composure right. through the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that was, that was, that was partially the research that, that went into it. Um, you know, I, I didn't know all of what he was telling me, but I had, um, I had some familiarity with that part of his story, but being able to not anticipate because I couldn't anticipate everything you're saying, but being able to at least have a general idea of bits and pieces of how he got to Southern and how things went when he got to Southern, I, I feel like helps give me a little bit more composure right, in that right. moment, I guess. Yep. Um, but, but that's really nice of you to say because that's, uh, that's an interview that, that I was pretty nervous for. Um, you know, that was, that was one of several things I was doing throughout that game. I was doing sideline hits. I was doing some other interviews, um, doing some pregame stuff, whatever. But, you know, the, the thing that was kind of at the top of the list that day was, you know, I'm looking forward to this interview with Walt Frazier. And um, I'm, I'm, glad it, I'm glad it came across that way because I was, I was sweating about that one a little bit. As I was watching, and I know I said some things out loud that I probably shouldn't repeat on the air, and I was—I mean, like I said, I was shocked. So, have you had any other moments like that where you've had to kind of remind yourself, like, "Hey, I—I I, I can't be a fan right now. I'm trying to do a job, be a professional." Yeah, I think um, I, I think maybe with with Bruce Weber a little bit. The the following year, he was kind of the headliner of the Saluki Hall of Fame class, and. You know, I, I grew up in the state of Illinois, so very familiar with Bruce Weber from his start at SIU to what he did in taking Illinois to the national championship game. And a lot of the people I grew up with ended up going to Illinois or they grew up Illinois fans, so that was that was kind of cool to, to be able to talk to him. But the thing I always have to remind myself, even if there is a little bit of the... Um, starstruck mentality when you're told all right you're going to interview Bruce Weber or Walt Frazier it's these these guys are just people and right I've, I've been very lucky that those two guys have been incredible like they they took time before the interview to talk they took time after the interview to, to ask about who I am and what I do and and that just helps put you at ease to remember that you know uh, they they are very very successful people but they're also just humans like you and I are. So, um, yeah, it, like, like, do I get nervous sometimes when I'm doing an interview? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, you're just having a conversation, and, and that helps put you at ease. So in your time at SIU, do you have a favorite call that you've made? Um, obviously, the Damask shot against Missouri State this last year uh, comes to mind. I've had the fortune of uh, being there to witness that as a SIU alum, and it was 
right there in line with it. So basically behind you. So didn't know if you had one that stands you were, out to you besides. You were sitting right behind him? Uh, I was almost in line with Marcus. Wow. So I was kind of over, over your left shoulder a little bit. Okay. Wow. Uh, did you get cell phone footage from that or were you just letting it unfold? I was just letting it, it just letting it unfold in the chaos and I it I didn't think you could get that shot off in that amount of time. No. No. I I don't think any of us did. Um that I'm I'm guessing that's that's one that like you'll you'll remember for the rest of your life now. Yeah, for sure. You know, I was there with my wife and our oldest son who's gonna go to SIU in the fall and uh you know, I think it was his first game or sec- second game at SIU Arena, so he was pretty excited about that as well. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's a that's a good impression to make. Um, but yeah, that's I mean that's the one for me. I mean, you, you ask the question like, what's what's your most memorable call at SIU? That's that's definitely the one. Um, I, I think the environment that you're talking about, the build up to get to that moment, the fact that SIU had won six games in a row, and you know they were a surprise. And at that point, we're starting to think, oh, my gosh, they have a legitimate chance to maybe win the regular season championship. Right. And uh, the, the first half, I'm, I'm sure you remember, the first half of that game was was not a very typical SIU first half. They gave up something like 45 points in the first half. And it, it did not play the way that they had played to get them to that point to where they were in the race. They were they were locking everybody down, holding them to you know twenty percent shooting every night at Salt Lake. But um, yeah, I, I think the fact that they didn't play great in the first half, there was a huge crowd there, it built up into this seven game winning streak, and it was this young, new, exciting player, Marcus Damask, that ended up being the freshman and newcomer of the year in the conference. Like all of those elements made for just. A, a really, really magical moment, and uh, people people have asked me about that call, and people ask you about that call like right after the game happened. Like, what did you say? What did you say? That was so exciting. And to be honest with you guys, I have I had no idea what I said <laughs> because there was just this there was kind of this emotional blackout, and you know, you, it, when you're doing those games on ESPN Plus, you're you're neutral. You know, you're, you're trying to tell both sides of the story. I, I work at SIU, but you try to do justice to both teams and stay as neutral as possible. Um, <laughs> but I, I think a little bit of genuine emotion and um, part of the fan in me did come out in that call. And um, maybe I shouldn't say that, but, but that's the truth. Like that was, that was just a, a, a really, really cool moment for so many people at the university and, so many people in Carbondale that were there to witness it, and obviously for for Marcus and um, and, and his family too. So um, yeah, that's that's the one. No disrespect to any other game or any other moment that I've ever called, but there were so many elements that made that really really special. So how would you assess the 2019-2020 season for the Salukis under first year coach Brian Mullins? To me, pleasantly surprised. I mean, I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but for a lot of people on the outside, pleasantly surprising. Um, you know, when when they were in non-conference and they lost a couple of the games that they lost, you know, you, you weren't so sure that 
they could do what they did in the conference. But you know, you, you get into the league, and I think it it certainly helped that basically the entire staff had been in the league before, including Brian. And there was a, a pretty good understanding of, of what was to come from a scouting standpoint. And there wasn't a whole lot of understanding, I think, from the rest of the league exactly what they were getting with Southern. Because there there were a lot of similarities to, to what Loyola did when Coach Mullins was there with you know, a, a pack line defense and um, those sort of things. But uh, the, the personnel was was new pretty much all across the board once Aaron Cook got hurt. And, you know, Lance Jones is a freshman running the point. Marcus Damask is a freshman. Nobody had seen him before. And Barrett Benson wasn't in the league before. Um, so, you know, you had, you had Eric McGill, who a lot of people had seen before. But, but that was really it as far as who people had uh, familiarity with. So uh, it, it was surprising when they got out to a decent start in, in the league, but looking back on it, maybe it shouldn't have been as surprising. And a lot of that has to do with, I mean, with Coach Mullins, that, you know, his, his familiarity with the league, but also getting his guys to buy in. And he always talks about how they've got to get better every single day, and they did that until they hit a little um, little bit of a snack there late in the conference seasons. But he wins. The players he recruits, they win. So the, the combination of those things surprised some people, but probably didn't surprise those guys internally as much as it did us on the outside. So the energy and excitement around the program seems to have improved despite finishing with a 16-16 record after finishing 17-15 and the year before under coach Barry Henson. Would you agree with that? And what do you think has made that change? That the, the energy and excitement has, has improved. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I would say that I think, you know, that's, that's, that has a lot to do with, you know, the, the hometown hero kind of coming home again and having some success. So there's, there's that built-in excitement that happened from the day Coach Mullins was hired. And there was a, a welcoming reception. I don't know if, if either of you had a chance to, to come down for that, but uh, there, was, there was a welcoming reception, and you would have thought it was like a pep rally to send a team off to the NCAA tournament or something. There's a, a big stage, a bunch of fans, um, you know, video-type stuff that kind of hyped up the, the hiring of Coach Mullins. And I, I think that kind of set the tone for some of the excitement that built throughout last season. Now, if they don't go on that run and aren't winning games, do the crowds get to the point that they were for the Missouri State game where it's six and a half, seven thousand, whatever it was? Probably not. Um, but would there still be some optimism because it is a rebuild and you have a coach with a proven track record of success, both as a player and a coach? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think people are willing to be patient but because some of that success did happen right away, there was a push toward you know what, what many would describe as the golden years of Saluki basketball. Not, not saying that it's back to that yet, but, but some of those crowds started to build up, and it got really, really loud inside the Bantera Center. And um, a lot of people are hoping that's just a preview of, of what's to come, 
with with the goal being to to sell that place out and to compete for Valley Championships. So had a chance to listen to a couple of your episodes of your Saluki Standards podcast, and I feel like there's definitely this a feeling of nostalgia for that run in the 2000s where they went to the NCAA tournament six straight years. How important is it to the program and the university as a whole to try and get back to that? And can they, the way that P5s are scheduling these days? Yeah, I think it's, um, I mean, it's, it's obviously huge. Uh, there's there's no secret that Saluki Men's Basketball is kind of the banner program in the department. And Coach Jerry Kill, when, when he was the athletic director, he made no secret about that as far as you know how things were going to be funded uh, and, and getting you know more staff members in there, getting a couple of GAs in there, getting you know a, a strength coach that's specific to men's basketball, Marcus Edwards in there, and it's it, it's hugely important because when when men's basketball is winning, there's more of a national footprint, which means the Saluki brand is out there in the public more, which means there will be more students interested in coming to SIU. And you know, that's that's a big part of the story of SIU's campus is, is the enrollment factor. When they're going to the Sweet 16 and playing in the NCAA tournament every year, there are more students on campus. The, the Carbondale economy is, is much better. People are traveling in from other parts of the region, from, from your guys at Mac Lewis. People might come in from St. Louis and, and catch a game and uh, every everything seems to be better, at least from the conversations I've had. I wasn't there when when the glory years were going on, but everything seems to be better when men's basketball is winning, and uh, that's not just in the athletic department. That's on campus and in the community as well. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say it's, it's hugely important to get back there. So to wrap this up, uh, one thing we like asking everybody we have that joins the show uh, so your time at Ball State, can you give us a suggestion as to where we should eat and what is the go-to meal at that uh, restaurant? Oh gosh, um, huh? I'm gonna I'm gonna offend somebody with <laughs> um, huh? I mean, my my gut's telling me Puertas. It's a uh, it's a uh, Mexican joint there in Muncie, and that tends to be the place that people go back to for uh, we'll, we'll call it a, a margarita reunion. Um, <laughs> and yeah, that, I mean, that's the place where, before you go out on a college night, that's where you go. Um, and, you know, they've got these big long tables, so you can invite as many people as you want. Uh, I, I wouldn't say the food is award-winning, I'm sorry if the people of Puertas are listening, <laughs> but it, it, it's more—it's more about the atmosphere there, and um, that—that that would probably be the go-to spot to go back to. Uh, now there's a there's a pizza joint right in the what they call the village there, which is uh, it's called Greeks Pizza, and it's actually where Papa John got his start when he was a student at Ball State. That's that's maybe a, a second choice. That's where I would go with the family, I think, when when they were coming to town for family weekend or for a visit. So, um, yeah, there's there's a bit of history in that place. So that's that's why there's a little bit of a tie to that one, too. 
So uh, thanks again for coming on the show. Where can our listeners find you or your podcast, et cetera? Yeah, so I'm, I'm on Twitter. Um, pretty pretty simple to find me. Um, not a lot of onions in the world, so it's just uh, <laughs> at Connor Onions, C-O-N-N-O-R-O-N-I-O-N. And um, feel free to add me on Facebook. Admittedly, I'm not overly active on Facebook, more of a, more of a Twitter person. But yeah, our, our podcasts come out every Thursday. And, um, yeah, we've, we've had a, a lot of selection basketball and that, um, a lot of other sports on the podcast as well. So hopefully there's something in there for everybody. And, uh, yeah, if you just search the Selection Standards podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and we're also on YouTube, uh, you can, can find some of that work. Well, we appreciate you joining the show, Connor. And I know that, uh, it was nice for you to take time out of your day since we caught you right before you're about to head out into the links and hopefully uh, snag a hole in one. So good luck to you on the golf course, and uh, we appreciate you joining the show. Yeah, more uh, there will be more shanks than hole in one. I can promise you that. Uh, but no, it's a lot that you guys thought of me, and um, you guys come out to Carbondale this year. Let me know, and uh, let's, uh, let's grab a meal or something. Yeah. Sounds great. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. All right, thank you, Connor. Thank you. And just want to give a special thanks to uh, Connor Onion for joining the show. Uh, I think you would agree, TJ. He brought a different aspect to the show than what we've had thus far, especially with him being a, a broadcaster instead of uh, a coach. Right. I definitely think it was uh, something different. Uh, like we talked to him about before, we didn't talk about the upcoming season for SIU. I thought maybe we could talk about that if we have a season come this fall. But it was some real insight. And like I said, I think – Play-by-play is one of those things like, oh, I could do this, I could do this. And then you see the prep. And I've seen that Excel spreadsheet that he talks about. It's ginormous. So it takes a lot of work. So with that, we're going to get into our Mount Rushmore segment. Uh, TJ will have Missouri State, while I will have Murray State. Uh, TJ, if you want to get it started with Missouri State. Yeah, I kind of split mine into two. They had, uh, I have two of their players from the Division II era, and I did check. They were in Division II during that time, so I'm hopefully not making that same mistake. If not, I have sources to to blame them. Uh, Daryl Garrison, or probably Daryl Garrison, I apologize, played from 1971 to 1975. He's the all-time leading scorer. Scored 1,900 points in 107 games, so averaged almost 18.5 points a game. Eighth in assists and led the team to their Division II national title game where they lost in 1974. He has his number retired, and he's in the Missouri State Athletics Hall of Fame. So I think putting him up right there at the top of that scoring list, it's usually hard to leave those guys off, even though I've done it uh, before, but definitely puts that guy in the conversation. So the first guy on my list, and before I get into my list, I have a couple buddies that uh, that graduated from Murray State, and you know, they're, one of them who still lives in Kentucky, he was giving me his thoughts on who he would have in his Mount Rushmore so, lo and behold, they're quite similar, but um, this guy I felt like had to be on the list. Uh, Jeff Martin played at Murray State from 1985 to 89. He's their leader in career points with uh, 2,484. Uh, number two in most points in a single season with over 800. And that came during the 1987-88 season, which he played 31 games during that uh, campaign. Two-time OVC Player of the Year, highest three-point field goal percentage for a career at Murray State, uh, nearly nearly 45% from deep. Drafted in the 1989 NBA Draft by the Clippers, 
and played two seasons for the Los Angeles Clippers. So I'm staying in the D2 era here, and my next guy is Curtis Perry, played from 1966 to 1970. First in rebounds, still third in scoring, even though that he played 50 years ago. Um, played in the D2 tournament all four years that he was in college. So, I mean, that alone, to do that at any level, I think is really That's impressive. Uh, was drafted in 1970 by both uh, San Diego at the team and at the time for the NBA and the ABA Virginia Squires, so probably most notably for having Dr. J on their roster. Played in the NBA from 1970 to 1978 for the Rockets, the Bucks, the Suns on some really great teams. It was part of the NBA's what's considered the NBA's greatest game in 1976 finals between the Celtics and the Suns. Multiple overtimes. I've seen it replay when they used to have the old ESPN classic games. Sure. But just felt like it went on forever. His numbers retired, and he's a Missouri State Athletic Hall of Famer. So those are my two guys from the D2 era. So it's second on my list. Uh, he played at Murray State from 1988 to 1992, and that is Popeye Jones. Fourth in career points with 2,057. He was 11th on the list for most points scored in a single season with 666. While he was up there for most points scored, he was also the leader in career rebounds with 1,374 in 123 games. Top 25 on the all-time assists record book at Murray State with 221. 6th in steals, 4th in block shots, 2-time OVC Player of the Year, and he was drafted by the Houston Rockets in the 1992 NBA Draft and then went on to play 11 seasons in the NBA. And I believe he helped Murray State collect 81 wins during his time at uh, Murray State. That's a lot of wins, averaging 20 wins a season. Yeah. So uh, my first, my next guy, excuse me, is Danny Moore, played at Missouri State from 1996 to 1999. He actually transferred in as a sophomore. Still finished sixth in scoring, averaging 17.2 points per game, second block shots. And the reason I put him on this list most notably is he was the centerpiece to that Sweet 16 run that they had in 1999. And he's the only Missouri State rep on the MVC's top 50 greatest players that they did back in, I think it was 2007 when they did that list. So wow. that, that, to me, being the centerpiece of that 99 team is really what did it for me. Number three on Murray State from my list is Isaiah Cannon. Murray State from 2009 to 2013. Number five in career points with 2050. Ninth most points scored in a single season. Most three-point field goals made for a career. He drained 304 three-pointers during his career. Sixth in career assists with almost 400. Seventh in career steals two-time OVC Player of the Year, consensus All-American, and he was instrumental during his time at Murray State as he led, helped lead the racers to two NCAA appearances, two NIT appearances. So all four years he was there, they were in, you know, one of the, you know, the, the two, two big... premier tournaments. I mean, if you're going to get in, there's always the argument about those other ones, but if you get an NIT or the NCAA tournament, you're definitely at the tops of your league all year. Yeah, those are the elite uh, postseason tournaments. And just like uh, Popeye Jones, he was also drafted by the Houston Rockets. He was drafted during the 2013 NBA draft 
Played six seasons in the NBA for six different teams. Played in a total of 235 games. Started 77 of those games. And while in college, helped lead Murray State to 106 career wins. Wow. That, that, whew, that's a lot of winning. You get used to it when you're at that part, that, that level. Yeah. So I round out mine for Missouri State with Kyle Weems, 2008-2012. Second leading scorer, fourth in rebound, sixth in block shots, and fifth in steals, which you hear the block shots, the rebound, and you think of a post player. But he graduated fourth on their all-time three-pointers list. So guy could do it all. Uh, Larry Bird winner in 2011. Still playing professionally in Europe. His latest stop was in Italy before the pandemic. And by all accounts, he's been a great ambassador to the program. That he comes back, he's still very involved with the university when he can be. So he's kind of made that transition. I think you probably put him on the MVC top 50 if you you know sure. get to redraft it in, in 2020 <laughs> since his career came after that. So I think, you know, Danny Moore, Kyle Weems don't have their numbers retired yet. There's a couple other guys, but I definitely think they belonged up there since they were kind of the, the biggest names during their D1 era. Sure. Well, fourth on my list, um, John Morant. Uh, no explanation needed here as he is as recent as it gets. If you do not know who he is, then you can Google him because I'm not going in depth onto this one as – he was just drafted with the second overall pick by the Grizzlies, you know, just recently. So, yeah, I th- I love the story about why how he ended up at Murray State. Murray State was the first one in, ran into him by accident. We were there to recruit somebody else, and kind of like basically the concession said, "Oh, hey, who are you?" And then watched him play, like, "Oh, okay," you know. <laughs> and just one of those things that he got himself the exposure, and it was just electric during his two years there, especially his, his sophomore year, and just turned things around because he was only there for two years, correct? Yeah. Correct. Okay. Yeah, he what he did at Murray State in that short span, I mean, it was phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you had guys like Cameron Payne who were also there, and some may wonder, well, how come you didn't put him on your list? I mean, you know, the Jeff Martin, Popeye Jones, two instrumental guys back from the, you know, the 1980s, and you know you, you can't leave off uh you know John Morant for what he did in a two-year span was a lot better than what some players did during a four-year span there and, and he if I remember correctly he kind of deferred to paying his freshman year like people still really didn't know who John Morant was sure. I mean people in the know were aware of him but then it was like that that summer between his freshman and sophomore year they really started to accelerate things and he took off as oh, yeah. a sophomore I mean I mean, he was so instrumental in helping Murray State get to the NCAA tournament. And, I mean, that's one of the few years that the OVC has had two teams in the tournament, and that was Belmont getting a win in the playing game. And Murray State, uh, I believe, who was it? They beat Marquette. Yeah. And I think was you could say he was easily the face of the, the whole league. Oh, it was. When you, you thought OVC, mm-hmm. you thought Morant. Right. Which was saying something because Belmont had Dylan Windler at that same time. Right. Who was, you know great in his you know game too right exactly but with that that'll uh wrap up the show uh tj you got any final thoughts here uh no i'm just hoping that everybody's staying healthy and uh you know you're finding some stuff to do to do your mental health as well keep that in check i think that's been a big thing for everybody that you know we're still quarantined and we're seeing the things accelerate back up it's just a tough time so 
hopefully everyone's staying safe, staying healthy, and um, hope you're enjoying our podcasts. Yeah, if, if you have any, uh, you know, if you have any suggestions on maybe like somebody you would like us to interview, you know, down the road, you know, feel free to, you know, email us or send us a direct message on Twitter, and you know, we can uh, we can try and reach out to that person and see if we can uh, make it happen. But that'll wrap up episode eight here on View of the Valleys. For TJ Hoover, I am Chris Smith. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next week as we discuss our favorite basketball movies while also doing our Mount Rushmore on Northern Iowa and SIU Edwardsville. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple and give us a follow on Twitter at View Valleys Pod. Have a safe and happy 4th of July weekend. Have a good one, everybody. Have a good one, everybody.